Welcome to Stuart Group, the Real Wealth Podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart. Financial planning isn't boring. It can be exciting, dynamic, and fun. And we make sure to bring that energy into the equation one podcast at a time. To get updates on our latest podcast episodes, hit the follow button on our SoundCloud or Apple podcasts. Today, we have Jeff Wilson with us in the studio. Jeff is an advisor at Stewart Group and works closely with our KiwiSaver clients. We are here today to talk about a millionaire's dilemma. This is based on a real-life scenario published in the Australian newspaper, and it seems there are rough waters, even if you've got a few million. So let's jump right in. Welcome, Jeff. How are you today? Uh, Fine, thank you, Nick. Although, full disclosure, I am not a millionaire yet. Ah. Just get that out on the table. Yet. (laughs) Well, if your KiwiSaver keeps tracking like it did in... Uh, 2019 calendar year, maybe one day. Oh, well, I've got a very uh, good employer who uh, contributes uh, healthily. (laughs) Great. Well, it's no secret that interest rates are very low. In fact, you know, a little personal anecdote. Last week, I I had a loan rollover because I have a staggered loan profile. And uh, I had a loan rolling over and just up on ASB pops up the options for rolling over this um, this, um, rate that was coming off a uh, fixed term so I could leave it floating or go fixed mm-hmm. again. And it was really interesting. I mean, the rates were just, it was pretty much, it was like four across the board. Well, it was like, you know, one year was, you know, 3.69, and then it slowly crept up to 4.11 for five years. So flat as. Yeah. Well, imagine if you're trying to save yeah. at the moment. I mean, the interest rates are, what, sort of around the 1% mark. <laughs> so imagine you're a millionaire. Mm. What does that actually give you, you know, as a return? I mean, yeah. before tax, I mean, that's, uh, I'm trying to work that out now as we speak. What's that, about $10,000? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And you, you've got to pay tax. And then you've got tax <laughs> to pay on top. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're sort of, if you might have a million in the bank, in other words, yes. literally, and find that um, you can't really live off it, off the, off the income. Absolutely. Well, you know, like, like if we use that personal anecdote, let's say the loan's $100,000, mm-hmm. and let's say I fixed in, say, four years at 4%. So I pay away $4,000 to the bank. This one happened to be ASB. So ASB have $4,000, and they're then going to compensate you, who's put on deposit with them, for, on a term deposit, your 100000 mm. They're going to pay you, maybe for 100000 you'll get a slight bump up, maybe a they might be generous and you, let's hypothetically keep the numbers simple, let's say they give you two. So there's a margin in there for the bank, of course, they need to pay their wages, their bills, etc. So it's interesting, whilst we all talk about the fact that these low interest rates, in terms of mortgage rates, the flip side is the poor person with on-call or savings or term deposits, there's just so little there to live on. That's right. I mean, I suppose that if you're over 65, you've at least got the option of um, putting your term deposits into KiwiSaver now. Yes, And yeah. getting the benefit of um, enhanced returns and still having the, uh, the liquidity of the funds, because that's the other aspect, isn't it? So there's no point when, you know, 25-year-olds like yourself and, and me, Nick, <laughs> you know, we've got a long, long uh, lead time until we can access our KiwiSavers. Sure. So, um, you know, what are the options for us if we're looking to have money on call as such, but wanting to get a better return? 
Well, it's interesting. Let's rephrase on-call to the ability to have liquidity. Yep. Because on-call implies that everything's everything's going to be guaranteed and you're not going to uh, have a risk of a negative return. But if we're looking at the fact that if someone has, um, like, like ourselves, you know, age 25, as you were saying, mm-hmm. in fact, I don't even think I've known you when you've been age 25. <laughs> I've known you for quite a while. Um, but if we, so hypothetically, someone at 25, so if they put it to KiwiSaver, it's not liquid because let's hypothetically say the 25-year-old um, is not going to suffer a hardship claim, so they're not going to get their cash out of KiwiSaver for a hardship claim. Let's say they already own a home, so the KiwiSaver, they can't take it out for a second residence mm-hmm. um, under current legislation, so yep. they're going to have to wait until they retire. Yeah. So, so KiwiSaver's out. So the other option is they need a broadly diversified portfolio, a combination of bonds and stocks depending on their risk profile and risk tolerance. And that means they can harness the returns of different asset classes, both domestically and internationally. Yep, yep. And, but if they wanted to get their um, money out or to liquidate... Typically, how long would that take? Well, well, for most people across you know um, any investment, or <clears throat> if I look at something like a a, um, a fund, typically if you're if you've sent off your order by two p.m. on the day, you are given the unit price that evening for the fund, and you will you will receive cash in your nominated account within three to five working days, depending on the jurisdiction and the asset class. For example, yep. fixed income generally gets paid out a little bit quicker than, yep. say, emerging market yep. um, equities. Okay. But very, but extremely liquid. Yeah. And so let's contrast that with what every Kiwi loves to do, it seems, which is put their money into... Bricks and mortar. Bricks and mortar property. Yeah, we just love bricks and mortar and look, to be fair, I mean, you know, particularly in Hawke's Bay, but around the country, oh, yeah. it's been going gangbusters of, of late. Yes. And, uh, I know that's it's a challenge for people trying to get into first homes and, and um, investors are, are making hay, it seems. But yeah, come you, you could be a, a millionaire or multi-millionaire yes. property investor. Yes. And yet, if you needed an income, what are you going to do? Yeah, and, and look, the, the crux of the article that I penned um, in the recent Hawke's Bay today, I think it was last Saturday, uh, was simply that, the millionaire's dilemma. You have all this um, wealth tied up in property, uh, and yet you have no cash flow to live. Now, historically, that has been the domain of the farmer. Asset rich, cash poor. Yeah, you know, we've all of them, and I've been told that since I was a child. Yeah. That, you know, people that own land are extremely wealthy but cash flow constrained. That's now become the domain of some residential homeowners. Yeah. That they're actually finding themselves in the same camp because they have things like, you know, we all think about three bedroom villa, you know, in Hastings, Napier or Havelock North and, you know, you manage it yourself, etc. But a lot of these people have very expensive unit title properties where they own an apartment and they've got body corporate fees and management fees, um, some fairly large uh, insurance bills as well, because you know that particular sector sure. has been has, was materially affected by um, leaky home etc. So we've seen that. So some of these people actually find that they are cash flow constrained, whereas historically they weren't. But this is what happens when cap rates or capitalization rates or the 
yield that you buy an asset on, as that yield declines and pops up or inflates your capital value or the value of your asset, the cash flow declines. And a significant number of people are saying, I'd factored in 20 years ago that this is what retirement was going to look like. I have accumulated the sufficient capital that I'd written down 20 years ago, but my cash flow is 60% less than what I had forecast. And that's the cash flow issue. That is the millionaire's dilemma. Yeah, and it's fine when the property market is you know, booming and potentially they can um, liquidate. Yes. Property, you know, um, takes a little bit of time, but in theory they should be able to liquidate it if they need to. But come a correction in the property market, mm. becomes a different proposition. Um, very much so. And, you know, many Kiwis have not experienced that for quite some time. Um, but if they were to um, pick up the phone and ask a friend of theirs who possibly lived in Ireland or the United Kingdom or the United States, there have been periods over the last 15 years where those property prices saw material corrections for quite a period of time. Indeed, I remember experiencing uh, the UK, the uh, the negative equity yes. of the UK. Uh, I think from memory that lasted about close to 10 years. Wow. Um, and people were literally throwing the keys back into the banks and the building societies to try and walk away from the debt. It yeah. was it was messy. It was absolutely messy. Yeah, I believe that's where the term jingle mail comes from. Uh, you got one on me. Okay, so the jingle mail is the basis that um, you know I'm going to send you some mail, Jeff. You're my bank manager, and I, you know, Mr. Jeff Wilson, you know, you know NZ Bank, and I just mail you. The keys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's uh, the problem's yours. The fact is that um, in the Commonwealth countries, we have recourse loans, not non-recourse like the United States. So uh, Jingle Mail, um, yeah, you can mail your bank manager the keys, but you've still got the debt. Oh, true. But uh, it, it was so, um, I hate to use the word pandemic in yes. the current context, but it was so widespread that uh, literally, uh, I think the, the banks had to write off Wow. A lot of debts trying to ch- trying to recover those yeah. debts. Yeah. I know I know for a fact one person, not myself, yeah. but one person um, walked away and never got contacted again. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Hey, in terms of look, in, in terms of their outside KiwiSaver approach, you know, when we, you know, if you look over the last say five years about the experience that someone would have had with a rebalanced liquid say, balanced portfolio being 50% bonds, 50% equities, their lifestyle in terms of their actual cash flow that's being produced for them is actually very, very consistent over that period of time. And they've been able to adjust their withdrawals according to their uh, lifestyle needs. Whereas as we've seen with people that have very concentrated portfolios of, say, um, three or four um, apartments, which is what the article that I referenced, Mm. that's been a very different experience. So the particular article was written in The Australian, and the article talked about, it was was a real-life case, um, where a a lady was profiled who had just come through a divorce, um, 5.6 million Australian dollars of wealth, no debt, um, had a very substantial family home, and amongst that, about 1.8 million, but the rest of it was... um, 
uh, residential property investments. And she had uh, a couple of kids that were in private school and she couldn't make ends meet. Wow. And that was the kind of millionaire's dilemma. So yeah. this is the thing, you know, the cap rates the cap rates, and the um, forward-looking cash flow is very, very low. And yet, you know, as these cap rates have come down, um, people's lifestyle uh, hasn't dropped at all. I mean, lifestyle typically is inflation adjusted every year for cost. You know, the cost of um, travel, the cost of your loaf of bread, your latte, etc. So as an advisor, if somebody with a similar profile came into you, you know, what, what typically would you be um, recommending? Well, the first thing, we'd do a needs analysis on their cash requirements. In other words, you know, how much of the portfolio do they need to be ultra-liquid? Mm-hmm. In other words, some people just need $10,000 in their bank account to sleep well at night. Yep. Some people it's 1000 some people it's 30000 just depends. Yep. We're, then, we're then trying to find, get an understanding of what are the real outgoings. Yes. Because that's going to dictate quite a lot about the type of investments that, they, that we would select and recommend. And then the other one, of course, which is embedded into the a code of conduct for financial advisors, or what was is currently called AFAs, which will soon just become financial advisors from the end of June, is uh, a risk profile. So we yes. we would have this lady, this um, Australian citizen, complete a risk profile questionnaire, so we could understand her risk tolerance and appetite on what we could take on before she would feel materially uncomfortable. And then, um, you know, in a period of downturn, she would uh, exit the strategy, which is not what you want to happen. You want to, you know, be re- you want to be buying low, selling high, and sure. not have the emotional roller coaster, which is when the market is euphoric, you, when you buy, and when the market is depressed, you sell. Yeah, uh, that's not what you want to True. happen. Yeah, but essentially, you'd be looking for a more diversified oh, uh, portfolio. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But um, but look, even even a diversified portfolio cannot rinse away someone that has cash flow requirements are unreasonable. Yes. Across any asset class, uh, then the capital will decline and will not meet their long-term life aspirations. Yeah. So that's why I always talk about what are the cash requirements. Yeah. yeah. So that, that that's the key. And look, you know, a lot of people are having to look at you know what they're doing, and and that's why we say look, advice is very important, and advice is not expensive. You know, you can get like a Warren of Fitness on your financial plan and strategy for very little cost input. You know, you can go to someone and they can give you an opinion on how you could maximize that. But the key is making the call and getting your scenario peer reviewed. Yeah. And we are frequently asked to do that. And I think that's really important because even if we can just give the person a couple of key pointers on where they could possibly reduce their risk or further diversify their portfolio, or there may be a sacred cow that just needs to be dealt with. Um, for example, I had one the other day where a gentleman was struggling with cash flow in his portfolio. We do not manage it, but it is external. He just wanted some thoughts. Well, he has a yacht that's costing him $12,000 per year, and that's with nothing going wrong, just in maintenance and marina fees. And because the cash flow from his portfolio has declined, but the capital value's gone up, he doesn't seem to want to spend any capital. That that yacht is now eating mm. about twenty five percent of his gross cash flow. Wow! Do you see? You see what yeah. I mean? and, that, and and that's when I talk about 
a sacred cow yeah. because the the yacht has always been a sacred cow. Well, I think the cow's about to go to be processed, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, because the gentleman was like, "You're right," you know. It was like the clap, and yeah. he was like, "Yeah, I get it." Yeah, yeah. because he he'd just been putting it off and putting it off, and he just needed someone to say, "Hey, um, you know, this is going to." make your life a lot easier and also de-risk your position yeah so and the other one is you know utilize assets that support your goals again like the case in point with the yacht owner yes um because you know the you know if if a yacht's got a hundred thousand dollars of capital value tied up in it and it's rinsing through your wallet say 12 grand a year you can imagine the material impact of when you sell that asset Free up the hundred grand, have the hundred grand working for you um, in an appreciating asset or one that produces you cash flow versus one that's possibly depreciating or standing still and costing you twelve grand or a thousand dollars a month tax paid. Wow, that's that's an expensive toy. Sure is, and um, you know when you drive around Wellington, Tauranga, Auckland, Sydney, Brisbane, there are a lot of yachts on the water, and mm. they're all owned by someone. Yeah. Or they're owned by people and people's hard-earned cash, keeping them afloat. Just really, really difficult when you're trying to do that from your investment capital. And look, the last one is be realistic. You know, financial markets have proved incredibly resilient in providing long-term returns to investors who are prepared to be patient. But markets can't deliver miracles. So it's best to understand what a portfolio is likely to withstand, what income it can safely produce. And the final point I'd say is that there is no dilemma for millionaires so long as they seek advice, be open to feedback, and they will be just fine. Well, Jeff, I think that's a good place for us to bring this podcast to a close. Yes, and I hopefully solving more millionaire dilemmas, maybe even our own one day. Oh, that'll be fun. And uh, hey, look, I, I really look forward to the next podcast. I know that we've got a bit of a cracker lined up, which will follow on from this Saturday's uh, Kenny View column. Sounds good. Look forward to it. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this podcast are of a general nature and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorized financial advisor before making any decisions. A disclosure statement can be attained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961 or visiting our website www.stuartgroup.co.nz